Hello and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I am your host, Leah Pilconis. Today, we are going to talk about construction site theft, which unfortunately happens pretty frequently on construction job sites. So we want to focus on what you can do about it. Depending on the size of the project, contractors have millions of dollars of equipment, tools, and materials stored on their job sites. Estimates from the National Insurance Crime Bureau tell us that as much as $1 billion in construction equipment is stolen in the United States each year, and a very little of it, under 25%, is recovered. Of course, you are dealing with more than just the replacement costs. It's also the lost time and man hours that cause project delays and may lead to damages. On this episode, we are going to discuss how to put your firm in the best position to manage the risk of theft. That includes being aware of the coverage details of your insurance policies and identifying some actionable steps you can take to implement to tighten security on your job site. We also wanna share some tips and best practices if you find yourself in a situation where you need to report a theft and file an insurance claim. So to help us do all of that, I'm excited to welcome our guest, John Wallen, John's Vice President and Wisconsin Construction Practice Leader, for the global insurance brokerage Hub International. Welcome to the show, John. Uh, thank you very much. We're glad to have you here today. I want to invite you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background. I know you've got decades of experience in providing risk management consulting, and also just tell us a little bit about Hub International for those who are not familiar. Sure. Um, I'll start with Hub. Uh, we are uh, one of the top five brokers in the United States. Um, we have uh, construction as one of our top three uh, practice areas. Um, we have um, about, uh, as of today, 475 locations uh, around uh, in North America uh, between the United States and Canada, uh, over 13,000 employees. Um, in terms of construction itself, uh, we write over a billion five in premium writings and uh, have about 50,000 uh, clients in construction or construction supply. Um, so kind of have a split of about 60% trade contractors, 25% general contractors, and the remaining 15 or so percent is specialty and heavy construction. So we have a pretty diverse group. And uh, just to share a little bit more about myself again, uh, about the first decade I uh, was in the industry, I was on the underwriting and underwriting management side for a regional and then a large national carrier, and then switched sides to uh, the brokerage side and have been consulting uh, clients uh, for the remainder of my time in, in the business, more than 20 years, and, uh, and have had a, a strong focus for construction. Great. Thanks, John, for that introduction and sharing the background. Let's start off with some statistics about construction site theft that's happening right now in our industry. What can you tell us about what's going on? You mentioned to, to kick it off that it is something approaching a billion dollars in uh, trackable costs, which is pretty much wherever you look statistically, whether it be Crime Bureau statistics or trades or even the equipment suppliers that that number seems to be in that five uh, 500 million to billion dollar range almost everywhere you look but 
uh, most of the times you see those those numbers, it doesn't really contemplate what really is the cost of it. And, and you referenced some of those things like uh, the, the lost time, the potential penalties on job sites for not completing on time, the, uh, the fact that very often it will cause uh, man hours that otherwise would have been unnecessary because uh, people are sitting idle rather than operating the equipment. So it, it, it's probably a number far larger than that, especially when you add in the cost for even the, the back office, uh, all the tracking down and claims handling and all that sort of thing. Yes, of course, I can imagine. Is there, I'm curious if there's a part of the country that you found to be particularly at risk Sure. Um, the numbers and statistics in, in terms of, uh, of where it occurs, there's more that occurs in the south, uh, in southeast, than there is in the Midwest. Um, but it's, you know, it kind of can vary as well. This tends to, to travel a bit throughout the country at times. Um, but yeah, th there is a little bit more of the numbers come from the south and southeast than the rest of the country. Okay. Have recent circumstances made things worse? Uh, well, if, if you're potentially referring to COVID-19 and some of the implications that came from that, absolutely. Uh, first of all, it was kind of kind of interesting because, um, you know, we, we've all used the term or heard the term lockdown. Well, once that occurred, you had, you know, obviously an interruption in a lot of different business sectors, but construction uh, was considered a uh, essential business. So largely it continued. Having said that, some of their sites were not considered essential businesses and had shutdowns. Uh, but then there was just a general interruption because of the fact is large contractors also have offices. Many of those people were working remotely. A lot of the normal things that we were counting on in the industry to be there weren't necessarily there. Some of the stuff where shortcuts were made and things to keep jobs moving. And uh, so, yes, there was, uh, let's just say, increased opportunity for theft and disappearance of, of equipment. And what about the rising cost of construction materials? Because I want to just laying the kind of the framework here, we're not just talking about tools and equipment, we're also talking about materials. So has there been um, an increase in um, more materials disappearing because of the high cost? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the material issue has been there for a while, and I think anybody that's been around the construction industry, um, the one that just popped up over and over and over was copper, copper piping, copper wiring. Anytime that was on a job site, installed or uninstalled, it was super vulnerable to theft. And so that, that, that was something that started years ago but has increased as the commodities have increased. It's interesting, just today I was on the line with one of my contractors who does fire suppression work, and the cost of a, a linear foot of one-inch pipe has gone from uh, basically something in the dollar to two dollar range, it might have bounced around a little bit, to now approaching four dollars since November of last year. That is a crazy amount of, of increase, so you're right. even keeping secure your materials for jobs has changed. How quickly it moves out to the site, how it's secured, all of that has had to be rethought by contractors. So I've read the uh, reports to the insurance service office that they tell us that theft is the single most common cause of loss for heavy equipment. 
if your tools, your equipment gets stolen, obviously the last thing that you want to do is have to pay out of pocket for the missing items. Can you tell us a little bit about how equipment insurance works for contractors? Sure. Um, if you're talking about the logistics of the, the coverage itself, we'll probably not go into a, a great amount of deal, detail for that. From a practical matter, contractors need to, um, well, it's like with anything, they need to have a, a plan and organization. And uh, what we've found is it's best if your equipment and tools are very closely tracked in terms of when you're proving a claim in the event of a loss, generally speaking, you're going to need serial number, some of the records potentially of when you purchased it and what the model number was, what attachments and, and accessories you had. All of those things are crucial. So in order to have a claim, which you don't want to have, that's what you're going to need. So once you've got that material consolidated to one, one place, usually an equipment schedule in one of their systems, um, half of your job's done then you just need to start to have, um, you know, some tracking system for that. Where is this assigned? Uh, I have clients, I have a, a plumbing and related client that has gone to barcoding for everything from the equipment to uh, materials and supplies for the job where they're tracking, if you will, linear feet of pipe and, and, and efficiencies in that way. But it helps in so many other ways, including tracking theft and values and that sort of thing. You're just um, making clear that it's really important to know exactly what you have, track it, um, make sure that um, you've got the records and the data so that if you have to um, file a claim, that you've got the details in place. But I also wanted you just to touch on just the types of insurance policies that would provide um, protection or coverage. Okay, um, I'll, let, me, let me start from kind of big picture and then I'll, I'll go down uh, to an individual, if you will, trade contractor. Uh, most larger job sites with multi-employer uh, presence, meaning you know, you're building a building, you're gonna have every different kind of trade contractor, you're gonna have um, you know, even engineers and people visiting the site, that sort of thing. Um, Usually those larger projects are going to have a what we call a master's, master builder's risk, which will largely take care of the building materials, whether they are just on site, even at a temporary site, or uh, already been, become a part of the construction. And that policy will cover those things. And again, I don't want to get too geeky or technical on this here, but that's a, that's a policy then that would pay for loss of materials, even for a subcontractor. And then there's what we call a waiver of subrogation so that it doesn't delay who's at fault or what happened. That takes care of your construction materials and your building while it's under construction, but that does not take care of the equipment that we that is the center of this discussion. Your, your skid steers, your excavators, and right down to your tools and equipment that you're using on the job site. Those, the individual contractors, 90%, 99% of the time are on the hook to make sure that those are covered properly. Typically, those are covered by what we call a contractor's equipment uh, policy which uh, can be structured in a number of different ways. And uh, if you'd like, I can, I can get into some of those details if, if you find that germane to the conversation. Well, I think for now, that was 
really helpful background just to kind of set the, the context because um, I want him to have that knowledge before we turn to talk about some of the, the protections that you can put in place on your job site to prevent theft. Let's talk about some common traditional methods that general contractors can take to prevent theft on their job sites and kind of starting at sort of the first layer where you, know, you want to you want to make sure that small items or tools um, that people just maybe don't even in, inadvertently walk home with them. What are some just general, you know, lower cost things um, that people can implement right away? Well, let me start with, you know, when I started working in construction insurance uh, more years ago than I want to admit, uh, I would go on job sites that, uh, frankly, at the time, kind of seemed like the norm. They weren't tremendously organized. The perimeter was hard to necessarily determine what it was. It might have been the silt fence that surrounded the, the building site. But uh, I would tell you over the last couple of decades, uh, site organization and site security has come uh, leaps and bounds forward. And that's, that's good for everyone, and it does help in, in the topic that we're discussing. Um, but, you know, something that you just need to really focus on is uh, you want to have not just one layer of protection, and, and you, we can talk about that in a lot of different ways. Most significant job sites should have a boundary fence, if you will, with only a couple of means of egress or, or entrance. And so uh, that's a good way to start. And uh, from there, uh, obviously, job boxes secured or not left on site, uh, equipment secured or disabled from removing batteries or certainly keys um, you know anybody in this in this business knows that uh, even removing keys with a lot of the equipment especially older equipment doesn't do a lot because of what we call universal keys um, so you need to be careful with that but you got to take layers of different steps and if if we want to get down into individual details in terms of of uh, how you do it, um, I mean, th we can move from the simple to the more complex and more technological related. But, uh, you know, it starts with uh, identify your equipment. I think it's a really good idea for carriers to paint their equipment their color at times uh, or parts of their equipment. Put labels on them, paint it on better. Uh, and there's a whole lot of different ways you should duplicate the serial numbers in a number of different places. E they could be uh, visible or even in place somebody's never going to look and there's ways to do that with etching welding or a number of different ways that uh, a criminal won't even know it exists if you do uh, micro dot uh, in, you know implementation of your serial numbers in hidden places on equipment so there's a myriad of different things you can do a lot of that is simple and inexpensive and you talked about the multi-layered approach. Um, what would you consider kind of a second layer and then moving into more tech-savvy protections? Well, again, starting with uh, perimeter protection, limited access to a site, uh, protection of your individual equipment by disabling, locking up, elevating, removing, uh, hold, you know, it's interesting, uh, as my kids were growing up, you know, we'd be driving down the freeway and they'd see a generator hanging from a crane. Uh, those are the, the simple caveman ways to prevent things from getting stolen. Uh, yeah, put it out of reach. 
having said that, as you as you move into again multi-layered, uh, some of it what we've already talked about doesn't help it from preventing to be stolen. It's the recovery, right? Uh, another one before I forget, um, there's a number of different uh, national uh, databases where you can have your equipment registered so that it can be recovered if it's found uh, after being stolen. That's another good idea. And then you start getting into, if you will, the mid-level protections, things like site cameras uh, that um, are uh, and signage for same, right? I mean, I'd love to tell you every place that you're on a construction site or a construction yard that says it has cameras, A, they don't always have those cameras. B, sometimes those cameras aren't fully functional. Uh, but, but C, just the you want to be the last place or the last contractor that a criminal goes after. You want to make it difficult. So signage, uh, uh, organized job site with very present security, cameras, locks, uh, is, is one that's going to be avoided by your common construction theft. Okay, those are great, great practical tips. And I keep alluding to the fact that I do want to hear a little bit about the techie stuff because I know our listeners love to um, be you know, aware of the, the latest and greatest technology and maybe some new developments, things that are available. Um, let's talk about equipment first. What, what are you seeing out there in the IoT, Internet of Things space? Yeah, there's there's a tremendous amount that's th- that industry. I didn't even know what that stood for uh, <laughs> ten years Just ago, you both. <laughs> and and now it's become very advanced in terms of uh, very creative ways that equipment can be tracked. Uh, I hate to refer to GPS as old technology, but. Uh, some of the ways that it's been advanced through the Internet of Things uh, and the tracking and perimeter, uh, it it will track uh, when it leaves a a certain perimeter, that sort of thing. And then most of, much of our audience is going to recognize too, I have a a client that does um, a lot of concrete, site prep, uh, excavation, all of that. And the equipment now um, a lot of it is actually being controlled by uh, GPS. In other words, you, you, you upload the plans in, and now it's almost as, as though the operator takes his hand off the wheel and, you know, the level of, uh, you know, the cutting of the soil and everything is controlled by that. So you can imagine when you have that kind of technology to run a piece of equipment, that can also be expanded to track that equipment. And that's, um, I guess, a way to help you if you need to report theft. You mentioned some of these sites that you can go to to report. Um, is there any software in particular you want to mention that could help you report kind of equipment loss or damage in real time? You know, honestly, there's, I mean, there's names that uh, our, our audience is going to be familiar with, Lojack and uh, a number of others. Also, manufacturers have, have begun to understand and and make it a feature of their equipment that they're going to include kind of the theft prevention and theft tracking items within the the equipment itself. So probably more than could be mentioned. Okay. And I know we've um, featured some recent articles in our Constructor magazine and Hub International has has helped us with some of those articles. We'll make sure we put those in the show notes because I think they mention a few things as well. Yeah, consequentially, I guess I would I would mention uh, 
ironically, this week, uh, a week from uh, uh, Friday, we're actually having internal training on the very topic of construction site security. Oh, really? And how, yes. So not only dealing with the very specific item that we're talking about today, but everything from, you know, you don't want the wrong people on your job site, not just for theft, but for a whole lot of other reasons. So it's, it's, it's helping even small to medium-sized contractors who aren't used to uh, doing, if you will, this global site security, but their portion of the job site. So it helps them to create plans so that they're anticipating, whether it be uh, safety issues, uh, site organization, planning, uh, but more specifically, the site security as it relates to their equipment and tools. Okay. And so that's training that we're doing for our our safety professionals, as well as people like myself, um, so that we can consult our clients properly with that. Yes, absolutely. You're giving us a lot of good things to think about. We mentioned, I think you and I both mentioned um, the risks in equipment and tools being stolen. I don't know if there was more that you want to say on that. Um, we talked about, you know, loss of use, obviously, replacements, huge. Um, Anything else that you that you want to make sure that people just have it front at the front of their minds, as far as just risks. Um, risks. Well, the risk itself. We've we've spent a lot of time talking about um, what what is the risk to the equipment. Um, I guess I should also mention. I just popped into my mind uh, about thirty percent of the cost of replacement equipment as a, as a result of the transportation of that equipment. So um, I don't know, time flies. Within the last couple of years, I had a client uh, who was transporting a, a link belt excavator to a job site, uh, probably didn't take the best route, took a strong corner, and, uh, the, and, and there was a loading issue as well, but the, 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 this piece of equipment overturned and was damaged to the point of being totaled. Well, then they faced a whole new issue, and that was availability of equipment. So you can get into a lot of different areas in terms of uh, the protection of your equipment. Uh, and, and I would say that, th that that is one of the things, too. So it touches on a number of different things. Make sure you're keeping up on the values of your equipment because it's, it's, you're never going to get paid more than what you declare for a value on your policy. And uh, I always use the example of a skid steer. Uh, most of the time when I, when I get introduced to a new construction potential client, uh, that's one of the first places I go and I look at their equipment schedule and I see a skid steer with a value of $15,000. Well, that might have worked a few decades ago, but if, if you need a skid steer now, you're looking at $50,000 plus. So keeping up on valuations. I think I took this down a little bit of a different track than you originally were asking. No, but it's helpful for the like practical real world scenarios. Uh, what about it, what about rented equipment? Um, can, you, can you count on the rental company to absorb the cost of a loss? Rental equipment companies, uh, so when you, if you're referring to while, while they have rental equipment, if you damage it, in most cases, 90% uh, of my contractors are purchasing the, they're renting the equipment, but they're required contractually to carry the coverage on that equipment. So that will, that will take care of that. Uh, and then in terms of uh, 
the big issue our clients face is just, again, the availability of equipment, specifically special use equipment that may not be readily available. I think of a, of a uh, concrete contractor of mine that has a, uh, one of the ways that has made construction so much more efficient and, and, uh, and quicker is you have either conveyor trucks to carry uh, concrete from you know, the, the exterior of the job site into where you're pouring or pumping trucks do the same thing. Uh, those, especially when construction is busy, are not easily available, whether it be rental or otherwise. Uh, so, again, protecting your equipment uh, is, is key just so that you don't have to rely on some of those backup plans. Let's talk for a minute about, you know, worst scenario, something stolen, and you've touched on a few things already as far as advice uh, if you need to move into a claim situation. but. Let's get a little bit deeper into that. And these sort of examples of recent past situations that you've experienced, I think that's that's really helpful to hear too. So what kind of advice can you pass along for what do I do first if something's stolen? What are all the things I need to keep in mind? I happen to work in the greater Milwaukee area. And I kind of joke sometimes if, if I have a, a plumbing contractor who is uh, down at an office building in downtown Milwaukee, and uh, they get, um, you know, a, uh, a couple of, uh, of of tools stolen out of their truck, and they contact the Milwaukee Police Department. Um, I hate to say it, it, I don't mean to be insensitive, but it's almost if there's not blood on the ground, we're not coming. <laughs> so it is important, though, just due to some of the requirements in our industry to, to, to uh, the, the, the the burden for uh, establishing a claim is proof that it happened and that falls on uh, the claimant. So you need to report these incidents. If you can't do it through the police department, they will usually take record of your call and acknowledge your call at minimum. Uh, You want to make sure that that happens and then uh, and then your own internal records is how you will will handle it with the insurance company. And I will tell you, uh, we have adjusters on staff within Hub International, primarily as uh, um, liaisons to the insurance carrier adjusters. And so we help our clients to establish uh, what's the information you need when you have a claim. Have it ready. The best handled claim and everybody's happy. An adjuster's going to grab for a file that has all the documentation that they need so they can get that claim going, verify the loss, write the check, and move on. The last thing an adjuster wants to see is that they don't have the right serial number it doesn't match or they don't have enough value to replace that piece of equipment. So these are all things we've kind of touched on already. It's that organized system that you have of documenting your equipment and then making sure the limit that you carry, including accessories, is shown on that schedule. You pay pennies more to insure it, but it's thousands of dollars that could go out the door for you if you don't have it documented properly. And I would tell you this, uh, again, when I look at uh, new prospective clients, I'm going to say 75% of the time I look at their equipment coverage and related, whether it be uh, uh, what we call installation floaters, builder's risk, which we talked about before, we won't go deeper into that, but more so on the construction equipment side and tool coverage, 
I see probably 70% of the time or more it's actual cash value. That means that the insurance company is only obligated to pay basically what the market would pay for that piece of equipment. So it's replacement cost less its depreciation. That is woefully inadequate for what the insured, the contractor, needs to replace it. So that's why it's, uh, I, I tell all my clients, you gen, most of them generally are using one equipment supplier and another that, you know, unless it's geographically limited to rent their equipment, go to either one of them and give them your equipment schedule and say, hey, can you give us an update of what this equipment would cost this year? And nine times out of 10, they can get it done that way. So you keep up to value so you don't have that Here's your $15,000 check for what now is a forty-five dollars or $50,000 uh, skid steer, as an example. That's great advice. Thanks for sharing that, John. Um, what else? Is there anything else that you want to get into a little bit deeper? I know we've touched on a lot, but um, anything that we're missing that you want to make sure that you share with the audience? I've kind of said it already. Um, it's, it's not a either or proposition. Uh, I'm going to go back to an organized site is a safer site, is a more efficient site, and a more secure site. So it's, and the other thing is, uh, when I get most of my business now after the time I've been in the business comes from referral from other construction clients. I'm now at a point where very often I will actually ask if I can go visit one of their job sites before we make a decision how to move forward to see how we can help them. And the first thing, you don't have to spend much time on a job site and see their area that they're working to tell. I can kind of anticipate before I go look at their insurance policies what I might see. And, and so that's where we can bring a lot of value. And contractors are out there to build, not manage their insurance. <laughs> so I would just say you need to find a good trusted advisor and just not have it always be price. Because the cost of equipment coverage for inadequate coverage is certainly lower than it is for adequate coverage. But it, it, once you have a claim, then you know why. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I appreciate you touching on all these things because you give folks a lot to think about. We're going to make sure that we have your information in the show notes. Um, I assume people can follow up with you if they have questions. And we'll put some other good resources there, too. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate you being on the show today. It's been great talking with you and, and learning from you. Well, I love talking about this stuff. It's, uh, I love doing what I do. And what is the expression? If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So happy to talk about it. Great. Thank you. I want to thank everybody out there for listening as well. We appreciate it. This has been another episode of AGC's Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your constructor cat.